You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for this day, um, for gathering us here as your church. Um, beneath your word, I pray now that you would open our ears, um, uh, open our eyes, and let us hear you um, and behold your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, hey, Tom. Uh, once again, I said this last week, and I just really feel this. I feel so woefully inadequate for these texts. I mean, I'm just climbing back into them again for the first time in a while. And just, I mean, it's just, Galatians is so rich. Um, I feel like I'm mountain climbing. That was a phrase that I was thinking when I was driving in this morning, thinking about Galatians 3 and coming out of Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, um, Christ who lives in me. Um, uh, uh, I feel like I'm just climbing from one Himalayan peak to another and now coming into this... uh, glorious riches of uh, the declaration that you are all now one in Christ Jesus, um, for we are all sons of God through faith. Uh, And so that's where we're trying to go today. Um, But with that, I guess the preface I want to begin with, um, at the presumption, certainly not my word, but the word of God given through his servant Paul, grace and peace to you in God our Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, um, which comes out of... Uh, Galatians 1, 3, as we looked at earlier um, a couple of weeks ago. Hey, Cumby. Hey, Mary Kay. Um, um, no. You want to sit in, sit in the back, sit wherever you like? Um, we've got all the time in the world. Um, grace, the source of our salvation. Peace, uh, the state of the continuing condition of, uh, of what it's like to live as uh, a sinner whose word has been... Uh, who's been worded by God and whose ears have been opened to move from, go from the busts again, the pictures here of Richard Thomas, from uh, our conviction, our knowledge of ourselves, the law which has no power to save ourselves, but which is good, right, and holy, and which tells us truly who we are, standing in the need of God, to being surprised by the grace of God, grace uh, which leads to peace not an absence of conflict, but in the midst of conflict, in the midst of trouble, um, in the midst of the groans and the strains and the pains of this world. We have peace with God as we are hidden uh, with Christ in God, clothed by him. And that's where we're going today is this idea of being clothed in Christ or, or even as a Augustus Top Lady's great hymn would say, um, uh, uh, being hidden in the rock of ages, who was cleft for me, Christ who was torn for me, who was cleft open for me, and now we are hidden in him, clothed in him as it were, so now the crushing weight of the law, or the strains of this world, or the, uh, uh, the nearness of death itself, nothing can, can, uh, can crush us, nothing can, can uh, uh, take us from God. Um, so that's all a preface. Um, extending that just a little bit further. Um, well, no, that's a good preface. Um, I'll save that for next week, perhaps. Uh, let's read. Um, uh, I'm going to back up just a hair. I was stuck this week um, at the end of Galatians 2 
as Paul then crossed over to Galatians 3, a famous first line out of uh, chapter 3, you foolish Galatians. I'd love to know the tone that he intended that. Um, J.B. Phillips, one of the... Uh, he, he did a transliteration. He himself would say it wasn't a translation. He took the Greek and the English and some other languages, no doubt, and he said, I wonder how I can put this into a more um, contemporary idiom. I think it's like 1964 England, something like that. Uh, uh, and so J.B. Phillips' translation, the letters to young churches, as it was called, uh, he says, oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. <laughs> I think that's really nice. And so, oh, you dear idiot of you know, Old Leeds Crest. That's where I live. And so it's, you know, that's probably the word that's coming out here. Or I could hear it too where he just gets into a lather. And it's something that is uh, so central to him with compassion and concern, yes, but really just an impatience and an urgency which you could confuse as anger. And I don't think it would be anger in the way that we normally hear it of, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And right there we think of, um, of Satan, the father of lies, the bewitcher, the charmer. Um, the word has a multivalent meaning. You know, it's really sort of who's given you Ouija, who's, who's sprinkled uh, some sort of bewitching juice on you, who has lulled you to sleep. And there's that place where we have this, um, for those who have been kind of with me the last couple of years in my teaching edge, you know, this idea of repentance, of, being, of, of, of coming to our senses. That's what it is to be repentant. It is, uh, again, praising passivity. We come to our senses. We are awoken or we hear something. Or as somebody else once said, it's as if you uh, uh, were in a cold room and then suddenly um, you realize, wait, the room warmed. Now you don't know when it warmed. You just know that now it's no longer cold. But you didn't notice how it came to be warm. And it's that, 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 that awareness of, I've not, I'm now awake. I've come to my senses. Um, uh, and Paul has an urgency there to this church which he loves. Uh, was this church that he started. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who is lulling you to sleep? Stay awake. Keep your eyes open, your ears attuned. Um, so, backing up, let me read. Um, verses uh, 2.21, um, last verse in chapter 2, first verses in chapter 3, 1 through 3, and then I'm going to jump down. It's all there in your, um, your handout. Uh, and then we'll go from 19 starting at verse 19 to the end of the chapter. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was only before your eyes, it was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, 
so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Now, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. So with that, let me just turn this slide. Um, not a new slide. Um, somebody in the Germany trip a couple of years ago. Yes, Libby, we saw this together. Um, this is uh, uh, in the what they call the Stadtkirche, um, the, the city church in Wittenberg, Wittenberg in Wittenberg, Germany, outside of Berlin, where Luther and Melanchthon and, and others uh, sort of started the Reformation, 1517. The theses were nailed not on this church's door, but on the castle church's door. The castles where the the elector lived when he was in town, but this is where the, the common folk went, the city church, the Stadtkirche, and up there behind the altar, called the Predella, uh, uh, with the triptych and all that, this is the one right on the bottom. So if you can imagine, this is it, and there's a leaf here and a leaf here. This is right here, just above the table. Um, anyway, that's just to give you a context, that didn't really matter. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. This was painted a year after Luther died. Um, Henry VIII died. You don't care about that. Um, it's kind of interesting. The two men that followed each other in some ways in history died, what, eight months apart, nine months apart? Um, uh, where Lucas Cranach, the younger, painted Luther um, preaching Christ crucified. Uh, right here in verse... Uh, uh, no wonder I didn't see it. It's on page. Um, uh, Verse 1, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Um, uh, it's what took me there. Is the word there really, uh, means it, it, before your very eyes, Christ was painted. Or Christ was, was drawn. Christ was given. Uh, it was real. This was new. You, you knew this when I was with you. Um, and that's what uh, Cranach and, and the Reformation uh, uh, there in Wittenberg was trying to do. And so we can interact with that for just a minute. But first, I do not or I will not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This, uh, this verse was a speed bump for me this week in some ways. So I wanted to slow down and go back. We talked about it a little bit. Um, what a word. I will not nullify the grace of God. Um, I won't make it for nothing. I won't count it as no count. Uh, the works of the law, where Paul was. Remember our short formula for this week, for this, this series. What is a work of the law? Christ plus anything else. Whether that's our piety, our, um, our behavior, our morality, our church membership, uh, what I'm now doing for God since he's done something for me, whether I move first or second, whatever else, Christ plus anything is a work of the law. And that's what Paul wants to say. I will not, 
I do not nullify the grace of God. Um, for if righteousness were any other way, um, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The two central plates of Christianity, uh, the grace of God and the death of Christ for sinners. Um, the gospel is God's grace for sinners through Christ's death for sinners. Um, just another way we keep trying to find the answer to the question, what is the gospel? Um, we're making it more than information. So it's something like what happens over here to Richard Thomas, where you really have a peace which passes understanding. It's beyond a rational apprehension of, oh, of course, now that makes perfect sense. Um, that's true, but it's more than that. It's the very power of God unto salvation for all who are faithed, for all who believe, for all who are given the gift of faith. That which then brings this, this hiddenness of being clothed in Christ, which is where Paul's going to go. And it captures it again here in 2.21. I will not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. I won't allow, says Paul, anything to horn in on this word that says Christ's death alone is enough. It's sufficient to telesty. It is finished. We're going to see that word come play back out. It means purpose or finish or perfected. All those, most of the time, have that same root of telos. And we still use that word sometimes, a telos, an end, the thing which you know, tells us we're at the end line or the finish line, or now a perfect, you know, because I've perfected the race, I've, I've, I've gotten to the end of it, 26.2 miles, whatever it is. That's all that same word. And Paul says, no, Christ's death there on Calvary is once offered full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice, oblation, and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. It is enough. And I will not allow anything to horn in on that word because to do that is to nullify the magnitude of God's grace for sinners, the gospel, God's grace for sinners through Christ's death for sinners. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Because to say otherwise, and this is why he jumps to this player, oh foolish, you dear idiots of Galatia, who has bewitched you? Somebody has come in and tried to say, well now that Christ has done this for you, then you must certainly be able to sort of do this, this, or this to make it a little bit better. And if that is the true word, says Paul to his dear idiots of Galatia, then Christ died for no purpose. Um, it's not full, perfect, and sufficient. It's not enough. It's not to tell us die. It's not finished. It's not perfected. It's not done. It started, but it wasn't enough. And Paul wants to say, no, the gospel is always enough. So then he comes in with that word, however it is, with, uh, with pathos, with passion, with, uh, with compassion, with um, urgency, with love. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your very eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. And so here we are. Let's just play with art for a little bit. Hey, come here. Um, you know, this is Luther standing over here in his pulpit, and his left hand uh, is right there. It's grounded in the scripture. Open Bible. 
There he is. But where is he doing? He's not looking even at the word. He's pointing out. The word goes out. Centrifugal in that sense. The word is always going out. Uh, it's the word of the preacher to proclaim the very words of God on behalf of God. Um, to proclaim the word of God. Remember, this is James is right. It is a dangerous thing. Uh, you should not presume to be teachers or proclaimers of God, for you will be judged more harshly. I, I take that very seriously. Because to proclaim is to speak on behalf of God. I'm proclaiming God's word. It's not just sort of a, here's what I think, an interpretation of what God might have meant, but I'm not saying it. You know, that's not for me to say. That's not proclamation. Proclamation is, this is the word of the Lord. Think about that phrase that we say in our lips. This is the word of God. That's a big deal. And that is a really, really, really big deal. And there's Luther with his hand, full confidence. This is the word of the Lord, and it's going out. And what's he pointing to? He's not pointing to him or him or him. And I won't go into these. There's some people that he knows. But it is interesting. Not all of them are taken. There are some that you know are ambivalent to the word. Um, that's another story. But pointing to Christ crucified. Um, and we know that, that you mean looking here, this is old class, you know, it's not centered. So it's just appearing, as it were, you know, from the Word. It's just coming out uh, from His sermon. When He closes the Bible, when He stops the sermon, our service is over, you know, our worship begins, let's go out into the world rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. This picture, this image of Christ crucified, it, it's, not, it's not there. This isn't an icon. This isn't a a window, this isn't a statue. He's not saying, like, look at what we bought. No, this is the image, the word preached, which is now painted directly before you. Real, vivid, true. It's not to say it's not real, vivid, and true. Vivid being alive. Um, it's just not, um, it's not there. It's there because of the word. The word creates the very thing which is being preached. And what is he preaching? Christ Jesus and Him crucified. Um, he resolved to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. The Word of God's grace for sinners. Uh, the Gospel um, in, uh, in real time. And the last thing, the, uh, the, the flowing row, which is kind of a mark um, around this time, and especially of Cranach and, uh, and, his, and his father and some others. That just that's the Holy Spirit. It's... it's as if the Spirit is blowing, you know, Spirit and wind being the same word, and it's alive and it's moving. Uh, it's all um, uh, in real time. The, the living word, the, 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 the uh, yeah, the living word. I was going to go to Latin, but that's just goofy. Um, uh, the living word being uh, painting, as it were, Christ crucified for sinners. The gospel portrayed in concrete terms. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has charmed you? Who has bewitched you? Who has lulled you back to sleep? Who has taken you away from the truth which you know? Uh, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. It's all planned. This is my long intro. Watched it again this morning. Uh, the Johnny Cash movie that came out many years ago, um, Walk the Line, you remember that? Um, Joaquin Phoenix played Johnny Cash, and they're just getting started, and uh, and he and his band go in to record, maybe Sun Studios, maybe, I guess, in Memphis, I don't know where they were, maybe that's not right, um, 
but they go up there and they're doing an old gospel ditty. He's like, okay, stop, stop, stop. Are you really going to sell me, the producer says, that if you're lying face down in a ditch and you're dying and you've got one song left to sing, you've got one word that you want to give to the world, you want to say one thing before you, you're going to sing that same old tired song that we hear all the time. Or do you have something that you want to tell? What's the one thing you want to say? And Johnny Cash, I looked at it, it's great. Um, uh, Joaquin Phoenix playing Johnny Cash is like, well, I wrote some songs in the Air Force. You got anything against the Air Force? He goes, no, I don't. He's like, well, I do. And it goes into Folsom City Blues, you know. I shot a man in prison just to watch him die. And you're like, okay, I'm hooked. What's he singing about? Um, if you had one thing, what did you want to say? And here's Paul. Let me ask you one thing. Let me get it right down here, face down in the ditch. Let me ask you this one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, Christ plus something else, or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? And there he is blowing. See the toga? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected, finished, to telestide, telos, ended? Are you now being brought through with a different word than how you started? That's what he wants to ask. You dear idiots of Galatia, having come through all this, you started and then you got charmed and you thought, you, you know, okay, now I understand. I'm going to pick this up and, you know, and do something else. And he says, no. Last little sort of cultural reference. The Mission, great movie, Jeremy Irons and uh, Robert De Niro. Um, great scene uh, where... Robert De Niro's character, um, who's a slave trader, this is in um, Brazil in, uh, I don't know, probably 1840 or something like that, I'm totally guessing. Uh, he ends up killing his brother in a duel over a woman, as you would guess. Uh, and now he's just totally overcome with remorse. Isn't that interesting? A slave trader, who of course is killed and trafficked you know, humans for, for 10 years at this point, but now he's overcome, and it makes sense, over, overcome with remorse and guilt and shame, really locked into what we would call just a depression, uh, uh, because he killed his brother. And Jeremy Irons, a priest, a monk from, uh, from up on, the, on top of the Iwasu Falls, comes down, uh, and, and it's this titanic battle. It's a great movie. I really do I am trying to impregnate it, so you're like, I want to go watch that. It's worth watching. Uh, Jeremy Irons comes through, and he walks into the room, and he finally sees this man uh, uh, who they've been kind of chasing and avoiding each other for a number of years because Jeremy Irons is serving the Guarani Indians who are being trapped and traded as slaves by Robert De Niro. And he's finally face-to-face -face with this guy. And he says, uh, De Niro goes, are you laughing at me? Can't be mocked. That's the one thing his pride can't take. Are you laughing at me? And Jeremy Irons, stone face. This is one of the great lines in cinema. Says, "I am laughing at you because what I see is laughable." And he goes on. He's like, you know, for you is there's forgiveness. You know, are you going to take? You know, you're overcome with this. And he's like, and De Niro says, "There is no forgiveness for me. There is no penance for me. I nullify." He says, "I nullify the grace of God in Christ because for me my sin is too great." 
It's good for trifling sins. It's nice for speeding tickets. It's okay for tax evasion. Just a white collar thing. It's not a big deal. But for me, I killed my brother. For me, there is no forgiveness. Jeremiah says, will you dare try? And he goes on. So, so works righteousness in the movie. It's not a perfect parable for grace, but it's a great, great, great movie. It's the nullification of the grace of God. You dear idiots of Galatia, you're saying, my sins are too big. That's great for our fifth graders. It's nice to bring our children down to church. Let them get, you know, brought up, bring them up in, a, in the Ten Commandments, make them good people, you know, loyal, faithful, you know, basically Boy Scouts. Uh, but, but the real world says there's something else. Um, uh, that's nullifying the grace of God for sinners, that my sins are too big. And now we're walking through um, Pilgrim's Progress as a church. And the man in the iron cage keeps coming back to me. I'm looking at Fontaine. We've been talking about this for a few weeks now. This, uh, uh, an interpreter's house towards the beginning of the story. I think that's Robert De Niro stuck there in the cage. If y'all remember, if you're reading the book with a, uh, in your small group or something else like that, where um, Christian is being taken through interpreter's house. Uh, and uh, he says, what about him? He's like, what are you asking? He says, sir, why are you in this cage? Um, because for me, you know, there's no more repentance. I turned away from, from God. It's not, I, you know, I can't, for me, there's no grace. There's no forgiveness. There's no possibility for me anymore. I think it's the Galatian sin. He's turning away from God uh, later in Pilgrim's Progress because that's a damnable lock in the iron cage and he can't turn it. But if you remember in Doubting Castle where Christian and is that hopeful? It's hopeful at that point are stuck in, a, in their own prison about to die, tempted to suicide. Um, Christian in a fit of, uh, of remembering no longer bewitched. He says, I have a key around my bosom named Promise. And that's going to be right here in the middle of Galatians. Uh, and I am certain this key will open any lock here in Doubting Castle. And he goes through and he comes to an iron lock. And the lock was damnable hard, but he turned and it opened. I think there's a lot there. And I'm really trying to bring all these different things in, whether it's Richard Thomas, Lucas Cranick, Walk the Line with Joaquin Phoenix, Johnny Cash, uh, the mission with Robert De Niro, um, uh, John Bunyan. I mean, this is right here, isn't it? I mean, I will not nullify the grace of God and Christ's death for sinners by saying it's for me or for you. It's not. It is enough. It is always enough. Um, as the book says, Christ plus nothing equals everything. But Christ plus something is always damnable. So, that's the intro. Um, we're going to fly through. We'll probably back up a little bit next week and do some things. But uh, that's kind of that's a speed bump that I've been on the last couple of days, sitting with this this great again these mountains of text. I mean, they're so rich you know, and they're so good. Any comments there? Any thoughts? Whether you know any a lot of references, almost too many. You can get lost with too many of those things. I know, but um, any anything to anything to add? Then let's press on. Um, verses 19 and 20, especially the second half. 
so hard. I mean, I, I find some solace, and so let me see if I can share this with you. When you read verses like this, do you ever go like, I got the other part, I just don't understand. Well, then I go into the commentaries and read all these people that are really smart for hundreds of years, and almost all of them say like, yeah, we really don't know what the second half of 19 and, and 20 are about, but we know this and this and this and this. And, and, uh, and one even said, it's kind of a, an easy out. And he says, it really doesn't change the interpretation of the passage, so let's just move on. <laughs> I was like, whatever. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. So let's break that part down. That's more approachable. The second half is the hard part. Good question. Why the law? If all this about God's grace for sinners and Christ's death for sinners, then why then the law? Is the law, um, should we go on sinning so grace may increase? As Paul asks rhetorically in, uh, in Romans, and he says, by no means. Um, uh, same question. Why, why then the law? For the law is good, right, holy, and true. The law was added. You would say it was given. The word probably interchangeable there. Uh, because of transgressions. Um, interesting wordplay. We'll go into it. But earlier he talked about you're now walking out of step with the truth of the gospel. To transgress is to cross the line, um, to cross over the line, to transgress. Uh, and so now you're no longer walking in the truth of the gospel, but you're transgressing. And so that weird word, which is it's not quite as robust as the word sin, um, which isn't just an action, it also describes a state of being. Uh, but the transgression is the uh, sort of the, the portrayal of, of crossing, crossing the boundary, crossing over where you, where you know you should go. It was added because of transgressions, or it was given to increase transgressions, Paul would even add later in another letter, until the offspring, uh, uh, we ask which offspring are we talking about, should come to whom the promise had been made. So right here, and he's going to make it more explicit in a minute, um, the promise given to Abraham, who came before Moses. So remember, there was like um, Noah and all that. There was Adam and Eve, and then Noah, and then in Genesis 12 comes Abraham. And those are the first promises given, uh, not the first ones, but the the Abrahamic promise. Um, Your offspring shall outnumber the sands of the seashore and the stars in the sky. Uh, and then 460 years later, the law was given through Moses. And so the promise through Abraham and the law through Moses, that's what he's trying to set up here in this part of Galatians. The law was added to increase the transgressions until the offspring should know, uh, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. Uh, shoot through this quickly. Thinking of Romans 3, um, 20, I guess it is that the law was given uh, to, by the law comes knowledge of sin. Um, Or in Romans 7, if there had been no law, I would not have known what sin was, especially to covet, Paul wants to make. So the law was given to show us, now we're back here in the first part, who I am and what I need. Um, Interesting way to think about this. Frederick Buechner, who's a really interesting guy, um, I'm not sure if he's still alive anymore or not, but when I was in college, I met him. Um, and, and read several of his things. He had a great way of describing the law. There are really two ways to think about the law. The first part is uh, like do not trespass. The law tells us what we should or shouldn't do, ought or oughtn't do, must or mustn't do. Um, don't run, don't cheat, don't, uh, don't wear plaid, you know, et cetera and so forth. 
Um, uh, the second kind of law, like gravity, just describes the way things are. Fight the law, fight gravity, and step out of a window and you know see who wins. Um, two ways to think about this, where the law uh, is given to tell us who we are, and there we are back there, and you can fight it like gravity, um, where, what does John say in his first letter? He who does not love is dead. I think that's 1 John 3, some part of there. He who does not love is dead. That's a statement of the way things are. Now, it doesn't tell you how to get the power to love. He's going to say that in chapter 4. We love because we are first loved. Our power source is a prior love, something that happens to me. I'm passive again. But as a statement of like the law of gravity, of just the way things are, it's not a statement of do this, don't do that. It's just if, if you don't love, you're dead. And that's one of the primary themes of Galatians. That's where we were last week is... We need to die before we die. I have been, who, which I am I talking about? In my flesh, I have been crucified with Christ. But in the Spirit, in my new creation, um, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Um, playing around with this idea of the law, why then the law? Well, it was added. It was given because of the transgressions. To show us who we are, like the law of gravity, and also what we ought to do, but we can't do. And the thing I can't do, that's the thing, the thing I don't want to do, that's the thing I keep on doing to show us our need. For by the law comes knowledge of sin. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. Well, plainly the offspring is Christ, um, the seed of Abraham. And he's going to make that, 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 uh, that tie in uh, explicit here at the end of the letter. Um, I'm not going to go into the second part. Um, it was put in place by the angels and intermediary, the intermediary being Moses, and the intermediary having, so God to the angels, to Moses, and it's all, you know, not directly mediated, and that's the whole point about, you know, now the curtain has been torn in two, for instance, there's no longer any intermediary, for we have direct access to God, and it's no longer through a priest who's an intermediary, and so there's all that stuff going on right here. Uh, where an intermediary applies, there's more than one, but God is one. Opens up the whole idea about the law and the gospel being two, two words, and when they're going to be unified. But that's another day. So, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Um, just to repeat that and kind of expand it. Uh, is the law contrary to the promises? We think Abraham again, um, to, uh, to the multiplication, to the promise that you will be blessed and preserved and multiplied and, uh, and kept in all that security. Uh, certainly not. For if a law had been given... Uh, that could give life, because again, the law of gravity says uh, step out and you fall. Um, the law of death says those that do not love uh, will die. Um, if a law had been given, that could give life. And so now we're in that, that place. So how do you get life? You have to be loved. That's part of the law. 
Well, that's the law to describe the way things are, not the law in terms of how we do things. Um, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe or who are faithed. Um, let's just keep moving. Um, I might even get through with this whole part. Verse 23. Here's where it starts to really sort of get sort of rich. Well, that's not that it hasn't been. Um, 23, 24, 25, 26. I went through really maybe through 28. All sorts of references to time, to faith, and to Jesus Christ. Sort of saying that before it comes. Here's what I wrote down. Jesus Christ in, the, in verses 24 through 29. We hear about until Christ comes in verse 26. In Christ Jesus, all are sons of God. In 27, you're baptized into Christ. In 27, you put on Christ. In 28, all are one in Christ. And in 29, if you are Christ's. And then faith. Remember faith? You think gift. That's one of the sort of pushes I'm trying to make in this short series um, for, uh, as, as he says in Ephesians, for faith, um, which is a gift from God, so that no man may boast. And faith comes from hearing. We heard that again up there in Galatians 2, 3, 2. Did you uh, receive the gift of faith through works of the law or by hearing? Galatians, Romans 10, 4, for faith comes by hearing. No, 10, 17, sorry. Um, faith comes by hearing. It is a gift. And faith comes in 23 to 26 five times. Before faith came, until Christ, until the coming faith, justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are sons through faith. And then time. Time is a big deal here. There's then, and there's to come, and then there's now. Uh, in verse 23, before faith came, verse 24, the law was a guardian until Christ came. In 25, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under this guardian. And in verse 26, but you are. That present tense really leaps out after he's been going backwards and forwards. But you are sons of God. So what is all this? division that's going on between faith which is a gift and Christ who's the central figure of our lives and our preaching and our reception and then time these two times that the two eyes are living in past and the future this overlap of the ages so to hear it but or now before faith came we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed so then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. We'll kind of work our way to an end here and pick up at 27 next week. Um, before faith came... Um, first of the time references. And so this is in our flesh or the old Adam and the old creation, the old eon, um, gearing into Advent. I'm going to do a Christmas class the last week. We may pick up, a, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, never mind, I forgot it. Um, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. So the first of two images that he has here, being held captive, I mean, imprisoned, uh, where um, the law is a, a prison guard or a prison master. Uh, and that interesting word imprisoned 
Um, you can look. We've got lots of Bible software and, and, uh, and interesting websites that are marked. That word is also used in the gospel to describe fish that are imprisoned in a net. I thought that was a really interesting way to sort of put some word flavor to it, that we're now imprisoned like fish gathered into a net and now pressed in upon one another with no freedom and bound together, shut up together uh, until the coming faith would be revealed. Remember, all this is a revelation. When Paul said in the first week, and we read, again, Johnny Cash and his book on, on Paul, that uh, I did not receive, I, did not, I was not taught this, I didn't earn it, this was a gift to me. It was revealed to me um, on the road to Damascus by the Holy Spirit himself where Christ appeared to me as one untimely born. Uh, so this idea of revelation, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, now he's going to still talk about the old, the law was our guardian. Interesting word there, sometimes called schoolmaster. Different ways of hearing that. You could say, is it a kind schoolmaster and sort of trying to teach us virtues and sort of lead us? And, and maybe, um, but some others... I think I fall on this side of things. Um, uh, it, it's a little bit like uh, C.S. Lewis had a, um, uh, a rough childhood. His mom died young, and then he was sent off to school, boarding school. Uh, and this is all in his book, Surprised by Joy. He was, he was certainly abused, probably even sexually abused, not by his teacher, but by his teacher. Very severe instruction. Called him the great knock. Probably a play on words where he would knock and wrap his knuckles in his backside if he got his declensions wrong or something else like that. It's probably something like that. This idea of a strict and severe schoolmaster, a guardian, one who has given us to train but without feeling. In Pilgrim's Progress, Moses, no feeling, just keeps pushing him down. Says, can you get up? Get up, do it again, do it again, do it again, better, better, better. Can't do it? Well good try you know maybe one day somebody will come who can do it and then the man Christ Jesus comes and I saw his wounds and he was my savior Moses and Christ were back there again so then the law was our guardian Moses unfeeling pushing us down the great knock strict disciplinarian requiring but giving no power to accomplish that which is required uh, until uh, and here the words come. Until Christ came. Thanks be to God. In order that we might be justified by faith. Think of that word. It's just, it's all, it's still, it still holds this power. Um, this is where Microsoft Word, thanks be to God for Microsoft. They gave us something to work with when we think about what it means to justify. Because that's what we normally think of, right? When you're justifying in Microsoft Word, what are you doing? You're putting the line in right relationship to one another and to the sides of the page. And that's what it means to justify, is to be in a right relationship. It's to, I called it okay. Here we are again. It's just to be okay. The words look okay. They're lined up in the margins, and they're spaced out one to another. And so we who are justified and who have peace with God, we're okay with, with God first around the page and then with one another. The law was our guardian. A severe disciplinarian required this, 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 and this. And you plead, how can I get that? And he says, that's not my job. 
I'm just the guardian. I'm not the power source. I'm just the law. I'm not the gospel. I don't know how to get you to be alive, which is to say, I don't know how to let you love. I just know that you're without love, and so you're dead. That's the law. And the gospel comes when? When Christ comes. The law was given to lead us to Christ. The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified, brought into this right relationship by faith. And now, but now, that faith has come. And so now we're in this circle. Thanks be to God, the new creation. And now that faith has come, which is a gift, we are no longer under this guardian. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty. No longer under this guardian, this disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, the seed of Abraham, by the way, the son of the promise, you are all sons of God through faith. Yeah, good place to stop. Um, sons, most of the time, I'm a fan of, uh, of, uh, of saying sons and daughters or men and women and all that. Here, it's a good place to keep it as it was written. Sons, not defending it or anything else, but primogenitor. The, the oldest son got all the wealth that kept the wealth in, in the family. That way, it didn't keep getting divided up. You know, great, great, great net had all this, but then it went to three, and then this one had four, and this one had two, and this one had five, and so now it's quickly getting broken. In order for property to go through through a, a family line, makes sense, right? It's not fair, but remember, it's not supposed to be fair. Um, uh, it went to the oldest son. Right, wrong, good, bad, or indifferent. That's what this is. And now all of us are in that position of inheritance. We get the father's stuff. <laughs> That's what that means. Um, and now you are all sons of God through faith. We'll pick that up and what that might mean, this whole linchpin of, a, of, again, faith, which is gift, 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 gift. Um, and get into this place of uh, being baptized into Christ and putting on Christ, which is where Rock of Ages and some other stuff is going to come in. So, Thoughts, questions? Sorry, I ran through today, but it's a big thing. Yes, Libby, go ahead. I was struggling with that issue of female, and I just finally look at it as... Mankind. Mankind. Yeah. Male and female. Man, that's right. Humankind, mankind, humanity, we all, yeah, that's right. May I pray? Mm-hmm. Lord, be with us. Um, take these feeble words uh, and by your grace uh, speak through them uh, for the sake of sinners. We need you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.